Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. For many of us, handbag shopping is not a purchase we take lightly. Our relationship with this accessory is complicated. It's our home away from home and therefore should be stylish, functional, a reflection of who we are. Sugand Agrawal knows this firsthand. An industrial designer, activist, lifelong vegetarian and fashion addict, she is the founder-creator of Gunas, an ethically sourced 100% vegan line of luxury handbags, backpacks, wallets, totes, crossbody bags. That means no silk, no fur, no wool, no down feathers, and no leather. Her mission is clear. Animals are not meant to be part of fashion. Instead, these handbags are made from a variety of fabrics and in sweatshop-free environments. Launched in 2010, Gunas bridges a gap between high style and ethically produced fashion. Some background. Born in India, Sue Gund moved to Germany as an exchange student, and then she came to the U.S. to attend college. She got her undergraduate degree in industrial design from Ohio's Columbus College of Art and Design and was hired as one of the lead industrial designers for Whirlpool and KitchenAid in Michigan. Then came a move to New York to attend Pratt Institute's MPS Design Management Program. So let's meet this visionary and fashion activist, Sugand. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy, and for the kind introduction. So where in India were you born? Let's go way back. <laughs> uh, so I was born in a small town called Meerut um, in the north of India, but I grew up in Pune, which is near Mumbai. And I came to the U.S. Um, as uh, a college student, as an undergraduate student. It was... Um, really like such a new experience for me because I came all by myself. Wow. <laughs> I mean, even though you might have had Germany under your belt and did yes, that, you yes. know, as a teenager, uh -huh. you lived with a family. I did. Exactly. So it's a bit of a different dynamic, yes, right? Yes, yes. So you just knew from the get-go that you were not going to stay in India to go to school? Um, I knew that I wanted to be an artist uh, or something related to design. And um, just at that point, 10 years ago, um, well, 20 years ago now, almost. <laughs> <laughs> it goes fast, when, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. India, you know, unfortunately did not have the kind of programs and schools that I was really looking for. And having been to Germany at such an, a young age, I really knew what the world had to offer. Mm -hmm. So I was really curious to find out. I started applying. These were days when, you know, we didn't really have the internet right. in India. We still sat down with those thousands of books of pages, you know, browsing through college lists and <laughs> applying individually. And catalogs. And yeah. catalogs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so um, it was a really new experience for me. I My dad was um, so apprehensive to send me, you know, alone because we didn't really have any family here. We had a few distant relatives, but not that were many. you as apprehensive as he was, or you just didn't? You were just going to go, and it was just going to be fine. <laughs> I think um, that's really a part of my personality. I don't calculate risk a lot, or I you don't I intimidate dive, easily. I, I don't. Mm -hmm. I just dive into it, and I take things one step at a time. And I think that's where I get my courage from uh, for even being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just you know packed my bags, and my dad said that hey, if you get scholarship, that's the only way I'm sending you. <laughs> and you did obviously, <laughs> and I did. I did get fifty percent in my undergraduate program, which was. Um, you know, undeniably awesome, and my dad could not stop me. <laughs> well, I have to interject here sure. and ask what it must have been like to go to Columbus, Ohio. And the reason I am doing that is okay. I went to Ohio University for okay. my freshman year, and being from the New York, New Jersey area, 
It was really a very hard adjustment for me, and I didn't stay. So I yeah. can't imagine what that must have been like for you, culture shock. Oh, yes. It was definitely a big culture shock because um, nobody on campus had even heard of a vegetarian diet at that point. <laughs> right, okay. And, you know, that, and uh, I was probably the only Indian person mm. on campus. It was a really small, specialized school. But I think for me, the shock was uh, not as much because I hadn't been to New York yet or, you know, some of the bigger cities mm-hmm. in the U.S. So um, it was very gradual. Right. Yeah. But what mm. was that like for you to know no one? Um, it was really tough. It was really, really tough uh, in the beginning. But, you know, I think I was so focused on um, just my um, goals as a student. And I was also, I kept myself really busy. I was mm-hmm. working on campus at the present uh, office. I was also working as an RA for the rest of the three years in college. So you juggled and, a lot of balls in the year, huh? Oh, yes. <laughs> I was known for having too much on my plate all the time. So, <laughs> But where did the design come from? Was that something in your DNA as you were growing up that you knew that you had this artistic bent? Absolutely. I was an artist growing up. Um, I always wanted to be a fine artist Mm -hmm. or um, a child psychologist, actually. Okay. Um, And then when I came to CCAD in Ohio, um, I was introduced to industrial design, which was actually one of the toughest majors in a design program. And um, what fascinated me was that it really combined my... um, my love for economics and psychology and, you know, just human behavior and art and design all into one. And I was told that, you know, it's really, really tough and a lot of people drop out. And there are not and, a lot of females in that field, <laughs> and right? And not a lot of females in that field. And I just took that as a challenge. And in my final year, I did win um, an Industrial Design Society of America award uh, for being the best um, student designer in, wow. uh-huh. in the district. So it was really exciting. I think I love challenges and I, I love seeing myself evolve as mm. a designer as well. Now, did you go back and forth in your time in Ohio, back and forth to India? I did, actually. I did go once a year. I would during the summer. During the summer. Yes. Uh-huh. So shortly after graduating, you got a job. I did. Um, I actually got a job way before I graduated. Um, so you're so, in demand, huh? <laughs> I'd like to think so. All right. <laughs> uh, so I, I did get hired by uh, Bosch and Siemens Home Appliances, and they're down in North Carolina, which I think, you know, for me, that was a shock <laughs> from Ohio. <laughs> right. Okay. Ohio itself was so, you know, I felt lonely there. But, you know, North Carolina was really in the middle of nowhere. So from there, I moved to Michigan. I got the opportunity with Whirlpool. And then I just happened to meet my cousin who lives in the city here in New York. And I was like, okay, I found home. (laughs) I have to come here. I have to come here. Coming here, did you mean I'm going to come here to work? Or was the next step for you going to Pratt to get a graduate degree? I wasn't sure if I wanted to work. I just knew that I had to get a master's eventually at some point. So after gaining a few years of experience, I just applied for um, the MPS program, which was a weekend program. So that oh, that you could combine the, both, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that gave me the flexibility of doing a lot of freelance work during the week and just, you know, getting my my toes wet into different kinds of fields and um, different kinds of design disciplines to see what I really liked. So it wasn't difficult for you to marry your professional academic life with a personal life? 
Oh, not at all, actually. Um, I think New York was really easy for me to adjust to. Um, you know, having grown up in India, you are surrounded by so and, many people mm-hmm, all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I really miss that. So um, coming to New York was just so very natural, natural. for me. Mm. Very natural. And I, I loved the hustle bustle. And I loved uh, just meeting so many different kinds of people. And that also ties into my background as uh, an exchange student in Germany, where I met a lot of people. It was a cultural exchange program. You know, I I do have a desire and love for meeting people of different backgrounds. So you have a little wanderlust then, or more than a little. (laughs) You get a degree from Pratt. Did you start to give birth to your own company when you graduated? I actually um, didn't get another job. I mean, I didn't even apply for one uh, because while I was doing my master's, I um, and it was all about sustainability, and I was really passionate about that cause as well. And, uh, you know, I just met a handbag designer um, through a friend one day. We were having coffee and we were just discussing the fashion scene in New York. And I just thought to myself, like, oh, my gosh, I love handbags and shoes. And a part of industrial design, um, you know, does train you to design bags as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just another product. So I was like, I have to combine this passion of mine. So I started interning with local independent handbag designers. And these were smaller um, setups. And, you know, that's more entrepreneurial. So that's what I wanted to do myself anyway. So it was a perfect setup. And so I... And interning, but that was not earning money, right? No, so you were all free internships. Right. So you were doing <laughs> other things to yes. sort of sustain yourself Absolutely. financially. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so having interned at a very popular local brand, I my first task was to actually rearrange all the animal hides in their stockroom. And when I went in there, I had never seen a full-fledged animal hide before in my life. Well, and why would anyone have, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. So when I saw an entire silhouette of, you know, a crocodile laying in front of me and a snake and of alligator and cow and calf and, you know, all these animals, I was just so much in shock. And I just sat there thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm vegetarian. Mm. And I don't even make that connection between my bags and my shoes and where it's Where they come from, from right. Mm-hmm. Because we're so bombarded by marketing and just, you know, um, all these beautiful ads of people that make leather look so luxurious. And, you know, I just went back home and I sat in my room and I was like, OK, I love bags. But there has to be a way to make this without animals. And there has to be a way to make it luxury and sustainable and um, durable without killing another living being. But didn't you wear leather shoes? I did. And, and you didn't make that connection I, in your I head? I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. And that's why I thought that there have to be other people like that out there. Or, you know, if they're not, then I need to do something about it. Right, right. Um, so I started researching and, you know, there really weren't any brands that were talking about this. So Unless they um, were kind of cheesy plastic Yes. Kind of yes. Or people were talking about recycled plastic bottle linings or hiding the fact that it's non-leather, even though they were non-leather. And I just felt that that's not the right way. I think. What year is this? Um, this was 2009. Okay, so a year before. Okay. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So this is cooking in your brain. Exactly. So it just, like, everything was gradually taking shape. So I spoke to a couple of my classmates in Pratt, and they were material experts who worked in the upholstery industry. And, um, you know, they really were, you know, responsible for laying the seeds and foundation of, you know, my material expertness. Mm-hmm. So expertise. 
and they guided me towards looking at the aviation industry and the sailboat industry because a lot of the upholstery that's used in um, all of these areas is really high tech and it's not leather and it has to meet a lot of healthcare standards. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I found all these fabulous materials, but they were really expensive. And I would walk with my little dolly 20 blocks every day to the fashion district with my, you know, boxes of materials and samples and work with artisans in the fashion district here in Manhattan. Um, And I developed my first collection. How did you know to do this? Did you just blindly went to companies in the the garment district and, what, knocked on doors? Um, Why why are they going to talk to you? I mean, there's so much, like, door closing that happens when you're just starting out as a, you know, a young designer. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't really know what you're doing. But, you know, I I was so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And I just had this will that I just knew I had to do this. And I know that there's a place for this in the world. And um, people just need to know this. So I drew up all my sketches and really planned the whole brand out and the the name. And that's also an interesting story. And, you know, I just went. I just went to a talk to um, three, four different sample makers. And it's also a lot of trial and error because not everyone can work with non-leather materials. They're so used to just working with leather. So that in, in itself is a new art. Um, so I finally found one shop that was really skilled, but they were extremely expensive. <laughs> so being, uh, you know, a startup, it was really, really tough for me to make that investment and that gamble. But mm-hmm. I just did. And my first collection turned out really pretty and nice and people loved it. But the price points were insanely expensive. And, you know, the market was just not ready for buying a $700, $800 bag, wow. which Whoa. was not leather. Right. From someone who they didn't know. <laughs> From someone they didn't that know. That wasn't Coach exactly. or, you know, Michael Kors <laughs> right. or whatever. Right. That first collection, was that under the heading of Gunas at that point? Yes. So then, you know, you teased us with the yeah. name. What is? How did you come up with it? What does it mean? So uh, when I was thinking about the name, I wanted it to have an essence of myself, Suganth. But then, you know, I thought that it's not an easy word to pronounce and everyone's going to be so confused by it. (laughs) So I wrote down alphabets of my name on pieces of paper and I sat down on my apartment floor, started rearranging them to make different kinds of words. Mm -hmm. Um, I came up with G-U-N-A-S and I said, "Okay, it kind of sounds nice and uh, catchy. And then I Googled it up and I was just so shocked and stunned by it. Because it's a real word? It's a real word. And it's a Sanskrit word, which is um, an Indian ancient language. Okay. And it actually uh, means qualities of nature. Oh, that's bizarre. So, <laughs> it was really, It was complete really happenstance, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. And I, I just felt that it just came to me. Mm-hmm. Like the name just came to me and I had to do this. So I don't know how to describe this, but I believe in signs and I omens. believe and omens. And I think that nature and, and the world is always trying to point you in different directions. And we have to be perceptive enough to really receive them. And flexible enough, and flexible. right? flexible, mm-hmm. yes. So I just, you know, felt that, okay, there's some truth in this, and I have to pursue it and try different things. Well, it sounds it like work. it was bigger than you. Yes. So your first collection, mm-hmm. as you just said, was a fortune. Yes, it costed a fortune. Did you I, sell uh, any bags? Um, I sold maybe two bags. Wow. It was really disappointing. I did two trade shows over at the Jacob Javits. Yeah, which I, is in Midtown Manhattan. It's, mm-hmm. Yes, in Manhattan. Big convention and, center. 
And, you know, every show costs a fortune, especially Where are you for, getting your money uh, from? <laughs> um, these were all savings. Because living it. in New York is not an it's, inexpensive it's venture. Not, yes. I did have some help from my father as well, mm-hmm. from my family. You know, I wouldn't say it was all by myself. Mm-hmm. But, but yes, it was personal savings, my parents, and, you know, we just kept doing it. And after a failure of two trade shows, no orders in hand, I was really sad. And, you know, I just was like... <sighs> I don't know what to do. Mm. There are so many times, you know, in your in your life as an entrepreneur where you feel like there is a dead end, but then, you know, that's where the creative thinking comes in and that's when you start, you know, turning turning the wheels and trying to get back on track. So, I thought about it and I um discovered that there were tons of veg fests. And these are festivals where thousands of vegetarians and vegans attend to discover animal-free lifestyle. Okay. So I thought, okay, maybe I need to narrow down my niche because I'm not ready for high fashion yet. People in high fashion are not really going to pay attention. So I went down to the local VegFest here in New York. And, uh, you know, that weekend we had about 10,000 people come in. And, you know, that's where it really started. I made my sales. I started slowly. So you brought that initial line with you. So this wasn't the initial line. So let me just go back a little bit. So when the price points were so high, I actually thought about going to China for production with the same styles. The cost was a fraction Mm -hmm. of New York. And then I actually visited China twice with my husband. And when we went to these factories, they were extremely depressing because just the condition of the workers there like was real sweatshops. Awful. It, they were just mm-hmm. like sweatshops. And so I thought to myself that, hey, when I'm talking about being kind to animals, why am I making bags that are killing people? Yeah, like, really? I mean, the more you dig into the fashion industry and behind the scenes, as a consumer, I was a consumer who was designing these products for myself, essentially. And, you know, you just discover the horrors of industrialization. And uh, so I did two rounds of production in China, made my sales, um, like I said, at VegFest, but I couldn't get myself to repeat that. Mm. And, you know, I, I thought that I have to figure out a better way, a right way to do this. So I actually moved back to India for eight months. <laughs> and this is still 2010? Uh, this is around 2010, 2011. And you moved back home because? Uh, because I wanted to start my own artisan studio. And really, so I converted my parents' garage into a studio bought some machines, hired three or four local artisans, started training them on quality and production. They knew the basics of making handbags, but just not the international qualities um, expectations. So I was training them. And right around then, the Bangladesh tragedy happened where the building collapsed and thousands of workers died. Right. So the whole fashion industry was waking up to the ethics of fashion. And right around then, the Ethical Fashion Forum formed in London, and they actually recognized my work for being vegan and ethical, because these are the things I was talking about even before they were formed. And so I was one of the founding members, and this was in 2012. And then around 13, I got pregnant with my daughter, so we just could not sustain the lifestyle of moving back and forth between the U.S. Really? Yeah. So um, we just decided, okay, I think it's time to close 
the workshop, move back to the U.S. because I really need to market the brand and figure out the manufacturing later. And manufacturing as in where they're going to be made. As in when they're going to be made and mm-hmm. how they're going to be made. Mm-hmm. So You came back to New York? I came back to New York, had my baby, and then um, I decided that I'm going to go to Korea. Because- <laughs> God, okay. That's like saying I think I'm going to go over the George Washington Bridge to New Jersey. Okay, so you decided to go to Korea. Yeah, uh, because Korea, I discovered a couple of other brands that were making product in Korea, and Korean fashion is known worldwide. They're known for quality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just decided that. And ethics? And ethics as well. Um, so I decided that let me just give Korea a try. And this was a point where I was, you know, again, debating, should I go back to China and maybe like find somebody else, go to Mexico? I just don't know what to do. Uh, <laughs> so I happened to find a factory in Korea. And mind you, this is when I've not been to Korea yet. I've just talked to this individual. Oh, you found a, f- a factory here. I mean, uh, while you Korea, were here while in Korea. Here. Yeah, yes. in Korea. Mm-hmm. So we were just Skyping, you know, thanks to technology mm-hmm. um, and video chatting and seeing the condition of the factory. I did one round of production with them. I was really happy with the quality. So then that's when I decided to go down to Korea and actually see it for myself, just to be sure that this is a sustainable source. I went down and I was pleasantly surprised because these were a group of um, six families that worked together. So one family would do the cutting, the other one was doing the pasting, another one was doing the sewing, and then the last one's doing the finishing. What were they working on before you, you all came? All handbags. They're, oh, they're they just were handbags. Doing handbags, and but they, they were, were doing for domestic market. And all natural products. Um, not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily. They were still working on leather as well. So uh, my material was new for them, mm-hmm. but they were really willing and open to working with me. You know, finally, I found the place for Your my match. bags mm-hmm. and yeah, the perfect match. Um, so the brand is in a really good place right now. <laughs> so how long did it take you from making that match mm-hmm. to getting your products out there? I would say that really 2014 was the year when I felt that the brand was really getting somewhere as far as recognition and sales and quality and just the customer satisfaction. It was really 2014. So it took me about, you know, I would say a good six years of just uh, knocking on doors and figuring my way out because there was really no one in the industry I could follow. There were no case studies I could read about other brands or other companies that were doing something similar. Or if they were, they were maybe kind of cheesy, cheap uh, product. I think they were not, not authentic. authentic. What does that mean? They were not authentically vegan or they were not doing it for the reasons I was doing it for. So I feel that my brand, um, any brand for uh, for any brand to have that stickiness factor, they really need to be authentic. They need to speak to a certain lifestyle, which is what I was trying to do with my brand. So explain to us what your products are actually made of. Sure. So the bags are now made with coated canvas. Um, so these are all cotton canvases that are coated with non-toxic polyurethane. Mm-hmm. Um, the lining for sustain for sustaining for power, power. Mm-hmm. Yes, sustainability, yes. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, actually, this year, I'm also launching a new collection, which is made from mulberry tree leaves. Which um, okay. <laughs> in the vegan world, we're always talking about being plant based. Right. So, and I always feed off of my customers' feedback and I take it really positively. And I think if you don't, and as um, it's a really fine balance between being a designer and a business person. As a designer, I would take things to heart. You know, someone's 
criticizing your baby, <laughs> you tend to, you know, feel uh, offended. But then as a business owner, you really have to have a level head and, you know, and a critical and eye, a critical mm. eye for yourself. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not going to succeed. So I, you know, I had a lot of people say, well, first, they were really happy that I was doing something vegan. Then the critics amongst them, you know, rose up and said, hey, but it's plastic. Wait a minute. <laughs> so, right, right. You know, and that's a valid point. Um, you know, I don't claim to have the perfect answer. I, along with the material industry, we're all evolving towards a better solution. So, yeah, hey, you know, that's, that's a great It's a work point. in progress. It's a work in progress. So then we went into, I was hearing about other people coming up with cork. Cork is not really fashionable. I mean, it's, it's sustainable. It's not really fashionable. I couldn't get the women who were buying Gucci or Tory Burch's or, you know, Michael Kors to switch to Gunas. So then this year I worked with my factory in Korea and we found a local person who was actually like hanji. Hanji paper is a mulberry tree paper that's used in Korea to make lamps and artifacts. Mm -hmm. And you can print it with any texture. So we figured out a way to actually make it look like leather. And it's beautiful. It's sustainable. And it's durable. I'm hoping and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that this will take off. That that will take off. Yes. I have to ask you on maybe a very personal level, when you went to Korea and you made this match, where did your money come from? Um, it was all just bootstrapping from Gunas. Like, whatever I make, I just put it back into the company and I take a really small paycheck but, out of it. Yeah, but how did you have that money to hire the, the factory workers? Well, they're not solely working for me. They're mm-hmm. working on other projects no, as I well. No, I understand, but yeah. you have to pay them. Yeah, yeah, of course. Was money difficult for you? I'm asking you this as sort of an entrepreneur. Did you get to have oh. investors or this was all came out of Sugun's pockets? This is all me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so when I started, I just started with the savings. And, mm-hmm. you know, right. in 2011, where I did the studio thing in India and I closed it down, I was actually at the verge of maybe rethinking and closing down mm-hmm. the company. But then um, once I started working with Korea, the quality was great. And that's when the sales really started trickling in for the company. That's when I started making the real money. Gotcha. And, um, you know, that's what helped me increase the style offerings as well. So I just had a couple of styles initially, and then I was able to give the factory more styles. And then, you know, that's how the brand has just grown. So we don't have investors yet. Uh, We're definitely looking for Mm -hmm. the right partners Mm because I think that I've done whatever I can on my own as a small business and, you know, a single-owned person. Right, right. Um, And I think the message and the brand that I've built, I really think it's ready to explode. It's ready to... You're on the edge here. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm on the edge here, and I just need to find the right partners to collaborate with and um, take this to the next level. And when did the other products come? I mean, you started with handbags, but Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, it's wallets and backpacks and totes. That was just a natural progression for you to include other products in addition to handbags? Yes. uh, The wallets, actually, I added those because of the price points. So, you know, my bags range anywhere from 150 to 300. Mm-hmm. So just to have an entry point for people to own a piece of gunas, which is not 150, maybe the wallets right. like 125 or 100. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I introduced wallets. Um, and, you know, that seemed to be a good idea. And then I also did shoes last year, actually. Shoes? Um, yeah, we oh. did shoes too. Uh-huh. So um, really tiny collection, just flats, three styles. That's it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 
girls were really happy. You know, they they wanted to wear Gunas shoes and um, they're really happy with the quality, the fit and the materials. And I mean, I wear the shoes myself every day, too. So <laughs> so how do people find you? Um, Are you sold sell, in stores? Or? I am sold in specialty boutiques around the world. We have about 20, 25 boutiques that hold Gunas bags. And otherwise, it's just our online store. It's really easy to just find us. Even if you type in vegan bags, we kind of come up on the first mm-hmm. page. Um, but your website is? Gunasthebrand.com. Gunasthebrand.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. And you're obviously your own spokesperson and ambassador. I do a lot of interviews. I've been featured in college textbooks. Is that your and, audience, millennials? Uh, yes, or, I would like to say would that. Would you like me to buy your bag? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't just uh, say that millennials are the only ones. I think that even people in their 50s or, you know, 40s, uh, 60s, you know, they uh, have that power to make that change and that switch as well. So why not? You mm-hmm. know, why am I just narrowing it down to the millennials. Um, and even if you see the the photography and just the, the website, or even uh, we have a page for just our Gunas girls, you know, that's our hashtag. Mm-hmm. Um, I have authors that have written vegan books that are in their 60s who love my bags. And, you know, so... A lot of word of mouth then, huh? Yes, a lot of word of mouth, a lot of user reviews, and people just, you know, telling their families about them or their friends, influencers Mm -hmm. that um, are really big in the vegetarian and the health community. What's your feeling about where you were, where you are, and where you're going? I think, personally, I'm still waiting to be surprised. Huh. (laughs) So this was all very, all, yeah, how... (laughs) There is a pun for this. This was all a natural act for you. You know, somehow in my gut, I just knew it. This has to go somewhere. This is, and I'm supposed to take it somewhere. The more I get into this field and the more I learn about animal cruelty or just, you know, animal husbandry and all these things, I just feel that I'm I'm just like an agent Mm. to make this change or Mm -hmm. to, you know, bring about this realization. Um, This whole thing is so much bigger than me, and I don't take credit for it at all. I think my entire life has just been a training in progress uh, for this. A work in progress. A work in progress Mm -hmm. for this. I've just, I mean, everything I've done, um, you know, just one fine day I got up um, and I said, you know what, Mom, I think I'm going to apply to American schools. And, you know, I had just one cousin in my family who had been, you know, who was studying here. And, you know, I think I shock my parents every time I say something. <laughs> well, they must be used to this by now. <laughs> yeah, I think they are. I think they're so um, And they see the so fruits of your labor. Yeah. That a lot of times they're not even surprised or, you know, and I'm like, where's the reaction? I just won an award. Where's the reaction? And they're like, oh, it's you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> are the bags still made in Korea? <laughs> they are. They uh-huh. are. And actually, I also did win an award by InStyle Magazine in 2015 for the best green handbag. Isn't that fabulous? Um, so, <laughs> so what is ahead for Sugund? What do you want to do? Where do you want to be? I want to take the brand global. I don't know if st- opening stores is the right Avenue. Um, Avenue. I think it's still very much online and maybe having experience, like a place just where people can experience this lifestyle rather than just my brand. Because I think if they connect with that lifestyle, then they will connect with my product. It's a natural act. Again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh So I think for me, it's just, um, you know, reaching out to more people and creating that awareness and expanding to clothing, expanding more into shoes, expanding to belts and 
and outerwear. And, you know, there's just so many product categories, if you think about it, where we use animals. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to make this into a whole lifestyle brand. So even housewares. Right, and furniture. And, and furniture, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, it, is Gunas, forgetting where the, the products are made, is it just you? Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, good <laughs> it's Lord. It's me, and I work with a couple of freelancers. Um, I have a part-time assistant that works from home. So, um, yeah, I just work out of my home office. And, and you do a lot of traveling, I would assume, a right? A lot of traveling. And, yes, I do wear a lot of hats. I am the designer. I, you know, do all the creative direction for photography, the blogging, the site, the content, wow. everything. Wow, you are a one-woman <laughs> band. You are, you're you. really amazing. <laughs> I mean, there's the creativity, there's the business, there's the belief. You're pretty inspirational, Sagan. Don't you Thank think you. so? I, I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, and it was nothing short of my pleasure to get to meet to meet you and hear your story. I mean, for you, it just comes so naturally, but I'm sitting here, you know, with my mouth open. You could fit one of your satchels in my mouth. (laughs) Well, I wish you continued success, and I am so grateful that you were here to share your story. Thank you so much. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. 